Now tonight we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter number 17. Jeremiah 17. I do ask you to pray for uh, everyone as they travel. Miss Sarah will be leaving early in the morning, headed to Kansas, but is supposed to be in California by Sunday. Is that correct? And I understand that right. Uh, Miss Phyllis said she'd go with her as long as Sarah would share her Cheetos on the way out there. But uh, so they, I don't know if that'll happen or not. But uh, the lanes fly out tomorrow back to the West Coast. And uh, Brother Abraham, where are you headed to next? Georgia. Okay, it's a short trip for him. So, but certainly be praying for him. Any of you guys ever been down I-75 to Georgia? He needs prayer. Amen. So, um, so who else is traveling? Uh, my wife and I are headed back to Chattanooga. Who else do we have that's traveling? So. Say it again. Roush, yeah, there you are. You moved on me. Going to Florida, all right. To Disney World, right? No, I'm just teasing, I'm just teasing. So be praying for them, because they're going all the way down. I'm assuming 75, maybe 95, but be praying for them. Well, tonight I want to I begin in Jeremiah 17, and I want to I ask you a couple of questions before we get into this message. How do you close a missions conference? How do you... What is it that we can talk about tonight and read from the Word of God that would guide us in our steps of faith through the next 12 calendar months as we choose to give to missions and, and uh, get involved in missions like we've talked about the last couple of nights and praying for missions? What are some things that we can think about tonight that will really guide us? And I've been thinking about this and praying about it even before I came and Really, one of the things I want, to, I want to talk to you about tonight is just the, the, the thing of trusting God. Trusting God. Now, you believe in God or you wouldn't be here on Wednesday night. Many of you have been able to be here the other nights. And so, you believe in God, but how many of you would say that, well, don't raise your hand because I think all of us would fall into this category. You would say, I trust God. And yet, when it comes out of your mouth, you're thinking about this one area of your life and you're like, hmm except for that. But I'm trying. I want to trust God there, but just to be, just between you and the Lord, you're not answering me tonight, just between you and the Lord and your own heart, you would say that there is a part of your life that you struggle in trusting God. So the question I want to start off with tonight is, can God be trusted? Nobody that's a believer would say, no, God can't be trusted. Why? Because it would undermine our faith. It would undermine all that we know about God. But when we think about it, let's break it down to this. What belongs to God? You can answer me out loud. What belongs to God? Everything. Now, that sounds great until we personalize it, right? Everything belongs to God. And then I told you the story about my daughter being kidnapped last night. And for the first time, I realized I had not thought about the fact that my daughter didn't belong to me. She belonged to God. Ooh. Now, that's a tough one. And I'm glad that not every person has to go through that point of life, but we need to understand that everything belongs to God. So when we buy that new car and we're so proud of it, or I'm in Tennessee, I can say that new pickup, and uh, we're so proud of it, and, but we need to realize, hey, it belongs to God. So if God says, hey, you need to pick up this person and bring them to church, and oh, Lord, that's my new truck. No, it's not your new truck, it's God's truck. And if you're like most people, it's the bank's truck, amen? You're just driving it. You're renting it from them. So the idea of what belongs to God, and then I have to also ask myself, does God own everything? Well, sure He does. You know, I used to teach a, a message about just the simplicity of giving in the church. 
and I would talk about tithing, and I would stand up 10 hymnals there on the pulpit there in Venezuela, and, and I'd say, now this represents all of our income, and let me tell you, there was 65% unemployment in our city, so their income might be $10 a day, so they may have made $50 all week, but it didn't matter, the sum total of those 10 hymnals represented all of their income for the week, $50. And I would take one away and I'd say, now how many of you think that stack looks a lot smaller? And they'd go, no. I said, now what part of this stack belongs to God? And what would they say? All of it. You guys are scared to answer me now, aren't you? They would say all of it. I said, now I would take one of them off and I said, now how much of it still belongs, or how much of it belongs to God? And they'd still say all of it. The thing is, oftentimes we get caught up in that this is mine. We're like the, the seagulls in the movie Nemo. Anybody ever see that? What do the, what do the seagulls say all the time? Mine, 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 mine. And uh, when it comes to finances, we get possessive. No, 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 that's not yours, Lord, that's mine. No, it all belongs to Him. When it all belongs to Him, I can freely give Him whatever He is asking me or, pre or impressing upon my heart to him. So tithing, no big deal. God's going to take care of it. There's a lot of Christians this week, and I haven't talked to anybody here, but I would guarantee you there are a lot of Christians this week that are watching the stock market and, and, and thinking in their mind, I can't afford to give because of what's going on in the stock market. It got quiet in here. Glad pastor's not here. He'd be scared of what I'm about to say. But the truth is, God is not sitting on the throne of heaven nibbling on his fingernails, wondering what's going to happen in the stock market. He owns all things. And let me tell you, as his children, you have the ability to tap into the resources that belong to him. And we need to remember that as we're thinking about, can God be trusted? Yes, he can be trusted. Can I trust God with my children? Can I trust God with my family, my finances? How about this? Can I trust God with my future? Well, hey, that's why we get saved, because we want to go to heaven, amen. But what about the future before we go to heaven? You know, I was with Dr. Don Sisk last week. How many of you know who Dr. Don Sisk is? He's been in missions for many, many years. He's 86 years of age. You know, most of us, I, I don't want to think about what my body's going to feel like at 86. I'm 51, and if this is a small glimpse of what I'm going to feel like at 86, I'm like, even so, Lord, come quickly, amen? But I was with Dr. Sisk just this last week, and it's interesting, several years ago, he, uh, someone asked him to write a book, and he wrote a book about serving the Lord after the age of 65. And the name of the book is Fourth Quarter. And it was interesting how he talked about the book last week. I'd, I hadn't heard him say this before, but it, it has not left my mind. He said, can you imagine watching your favorite football team, and they give it their all for three quarters, and then in the fourth quarter, they just sit down. He said, now most people will live to be 80, 85 years of age. And yet, we think it's 60 or 65, it's time for us to retire, it's time for us to slow down. And many times we quit doing a lot of the things that we're doing for the Lord. And he said, that's just like your football team going to the bench at the end of the third quarter and saying, well, that's it for today. He said, you know, why can't we go ahead and serve the Lord for four full quarters of our life and give Him our all, all the way to the end? Now, it may look different. You know, and the older I get, the, the less things I'm able to do like I did when I was young. I mean, I was 15, 16 years old. I'd jump off of anything that didn't move. Okay, I jumped off of a few things that did move. Uh, if there was a, a cliff or, a, or a, a bluff over water, I'd jump off of it. It didn't matter how high the cliff was and how shallow the water was. It didn't matter. I didn't think about it. You know what I think about now? I'm not doing that. 
Why? Because I'd like to think I've gotten a little smarter. I've definitely got a little older, but life changes. You know, um, the way that I serve the Lord will change. I'm able to spend more time in prayer because I have less things that take up my schedule during the day as I get older. My dad, who's 74, be 75 this year, uh, he talks about some of the physical limitations he has. He said, but there's still some things that I can do. I can make visits. I can go to nursing homes. I can pray. I can encourage the pastor. I can send a text. I mean, it's just amazing to me as he's thinking outside of his box, the things that he's done all of his life, and he realizes, hey, there's still something that I can do to serve the Lord. As we think about this tonight, and we think about this fact, can God be trusted? You know, when we, we think about our missions, oftentimes, how many of you remember the first time God impressed it upon your heart to tithe? And you're thinking, I don't know how this is going to work. Anybody in here brave enough to tell me you did that? My hand's up, my wife's hand's up. But you looked at it, and you're thinking, tithing, how can I afford possibly live on 90% of what I, it takes me 100% to live on right now. How can I possibly do that? And God's proven himself to us, just like he did in, in Malachi. But then we think about this. Now God wants me to give to missions. How can I possibly do that? Well, it says, as a man purposeth in his heart, so let him give. You're proving yourself to the Lord. You're not really proving it to the Lord. You're proving it to yourself how much you love the Lord and trust the Lord to meet your needs. And then here's something else. When you're giving the missions, you're entrusting that investment to a portfolio that cannot lose. When you get to heaven, you're going to find out, wow, that investment in missions performed much better than anything I ever considered. And there are folks in heaven, uh, you know, through, whether it's through Myanmar, or whether it's through Germany, or whether it's through South America, or whether it's through Central America, or the Dominican, or wherever it's through in the U.S. military, whoever it's through, you're going to meet folks in heaven that you invested in because God is not going to allow that investment to return void. He's going to bless it, and He says that He does. So tonight I want to focus our attention, Jeremiah 17 and verse number 7. Let's read it together. I'll read it and you can read it quietly as I read aloud. It says in verse number 7, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. You know, when we look at these particular verses, he's speaking directly to the fact that when you trust God, God is going to enable you and he's, you're tapping into a source of, of, of nourishment and help that you cannot have when you're not trusting the Lord. You know, there's been times in my life where I, I felt that I had it all under control. And most of the time when I feel like I have it all under control, I reach a point where I realize I have nothing under control. Amen. How many of you guys have ever started into a project and you didn't want to read the instructions? And you get done with the project and you've got a few extra bolts and screws. Now what do you do with those? You hide them from your wife. Amen. You don't want her to see it. You know, the, the idea is, I've got this, I've done this before, I've rebuilt one of these motors before, and I know what I'm doing, I've been doing this my whole life, and then suddenly it doesn't work out right, and why didn't it work out right? Because you were trusting in yourself, and, and we all have failures. 
You got a phone call at the wrong moment and distracted you and you put something together out of order and you had to take it back apart. All of those things we've been through in our life. But let me tell you, when, we, when our faith is in the Lord and we're trusting in the Lord, we realize that in every area, in every area of our life, we need to say, Lord, I know I have the knowledge to complete this task, but I also know you have insight that I do not have. And when I tap into that resource of his infinite knowledge and ability and wisdom and discernment, let me tell you, it's always going to come out better. So tonight I want to, I want to talk to you to, for a few moments about the benefits of trusting God. Now we're going to bounce around the scriptures if you'd like to do that with me tonight. In Isaiah 26 and verse number 3, Isaiah 26, 3, if you just want to write this down, we'll keep moving for time's sake. But it's, the Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. This first thing that I want to talk to you about tonight, this benefit of trusting God, is simply the word serenity. Now, what do I mean by that? Again, this verse says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. In other words, there's going to be times in your life where you choose to trust in God even though you can't see how things are going to turn out. That first time somebody asks you to teach a Sunday school class and you feel completely inadequate to teach a Sunday school class. And you go in there and you're trusting in the Lord. There's something about giving that over to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to honor you. And I'm going to trust you to help me. I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. I'm going to prepare. But when it comes down to it, Lord, when, when I have to stand before that crowd at whatever age they are, and I have to open the Bible and I actually have to speak, Lord, I need your spirit to fill me so that I can be used by you. And when you do that, there is a serenity, there is a peace that he talked about there in Isaiah. A perfect peace is the descriptive term. A perfect peace. In other words, you can rest assured that when you've given it to the Lord and God is in control, whatever happens, it's all going to be okay. You know, when Chris and I, I told you the story last night about Katie and the kidnapping. If you weren't here last night, I encourage you, if they record it, he said, I think you put it on next week, Brother Daniel said. And you go back and listen to that story. Let me tell you, there was, there was some moments of time that particular night and even for a couple of days where we didn't have a whole lot of peace going on. But when we sat down with the Word of God, it was amazing. That night after I, uh, in that whole situation, the national pastor that was there with his family was shot. And I had to take him to the hospital. And when I came back from the hospital, and that's a whole other story, I looked at Chris and she still had that look on her face of, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? And I probably had the same look on my eye, in my eyes as I sat down and I sat down on one side of the living room with my Bible. She sat down on the other side of the living room with her Bible. And it was amazing how the Spirit of God ministered to us when we were in our worst crisis that we had ever experienced in our life. And we were able to get up, and I'll never forget where the, when the Lord spoke to me so plainly about the fact that you need to commit your kids to the Lord because you can't protect them. And he began to teach me through that. And, and I was reading the Word of God, and it was like, wow, this is like jumping off the page at me. But when I closed the book, I had a peace that I did not have when I sat down and opened my Bible. Let me tell you, only God can give you that perfect peace and bring serenity to your heart and your soul again. 
You know, when, you're, when you go into the doctor and they say, you've got cancer. Man, the devil's going to do everything he can to jump in your pond right there and make waves that you couldn't surf. He's going to try to disrupt your life and disrupt the peace and the serenity of your soul. But when you come back to the benefits of trusting God, you must understand that even when that terrible word called cancer is attached to your name and it's in your future and the uncertainty is there, you can sit back in perfect peace and say, God, I trusted you yesterday and I'm consciously deciding I'm going to trust you today. And Lord, I want to trust you tomorrow. So when we talk about that serenity, that serenity only comes as a benefit of trusting the Lord. Secondly, I want, you to, I want us to think about this particular verse. In Psalm 28 in verse number 7, it says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. The first thing I want you to notice in that verse is that word strength. One of the benefits of trusting God, and well, he says it later in that verse, he said, My heart trusted. That's interesting. He uses a past tense verb here. He said, trusted. It's a decision that has been made in the past. He says, the Lord is my strength, that's present tense, and my shield. My heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. In other words, he's saying, the strength that I have, one of the benefits of trusting God, not just now, but in the past, is the fact that I am strengthened in this moment, at this time, and that's only a benefit of trusting the Lord. He says, my heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart gladly or greatly rejoiceth. And with my song, I will praise him. So we have that serenity and then we have that strength. How many of you have just had one of those days where, spiritually speaking, you had no strength? You were just wiped out. You know, last night I talked about the aspect of spiritual oppression for a missionary. It's when the weight of everything just piles on and you realize, I am really small and I can't handle this. I can't handle all of those things I talked about the last two nights. And you realize, wow, this is just overwhelming. In those times, it's where you rest in the Lord and your strength is renewed. And it's that strength that comes because you've trusted in God, you've given your life to the Lord, and He's going to give you strength when you need it most. Man, let me tell you, there's nothing like the strength of the Lord to get you through. Sometimes, you know, there's been times in my life where I'm glad God knocked me down. You know why? Because when He knocked me down and I had to look up, I needed to be reminded who was in charge. And that, yes, my physical strength could have accomplished the task, but I could not have had the outcome that God was able to orchestrate in my life because I trusted in Him, and He was my strength. You know, Chris and I went through that deal last night, and it was because of that event in our family's life that the Venezuelan people began to trust us. They said, I, I heard them say this out loud, they don't have to be here. They have the resources to leave. All of them wanted to leave. And this was 20 years ago when Venezuela really just first started to tank. They wanted to leave and they couldn't. And they looked at us like, why would you stay here? But because we stayed through that, and God had to do that in us. It wasn't by our strength. It was by His. But because we stayed, they went, what is so important that you would stay here? Well, I'm glad you asked. His name is Jesus. 
And he could do the same thing for you. So that's the strength that God brings. The third thing tonight that we want to look at is this thing called safety. What do I mean? That same verse, Psalm 28 and verse number 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth. I was thinking, as I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking about this, the time where we went to this village that we had never been to before. Did I tell you about landing on the airstrip around the corner of the mountain? Well, when we got to that village, and no missionary had ever been there, the gospel had never been preached there, all of the, the higher ups, the men in the village, and it's kind of funny to say that because everybody dresses the same. But the men, the, the chief of the village, the captain of the village, and so on down the chain of command, met the missionaries and the Indian pastors that came in our plane, and we sat at the table, and we were being introduced to the different people at the table, and the man seated, or seated exactly to my left was a little small man, and I found out that he was the witch doctor of the village. Now, that'll make you pray over the food, Amen. I mean, they said, well, I said, well, what are we eating? Well, they'll pass the meat around in just a minute. I go, which way are they passing it? Does he get it first or do I get it first? You know, when I think about this safety, I think about literally that village felt as if we were in Satan's lair. The gospel had never been proclaimed. There was an oppression. There was a, a heaviness. There was a spiritual weight in the air that I really can't describe. I mean, I, we're in Kingsport, Tennessee, the land of nine million churches, right? Or it seems that way. You see steeples every time you come around another, another curve. But imagine a place where the gospel has never been preached. Many of you have grown up in a, in a home and maybe your parents didn't know the Lord, but there's been some spiritual influence, be it through radio or television or crusade or maybe even just prayer at a Bristol race, amen? There was some kind of spiritual influence in your life. But imagine growing up in a place where there is nothing. The only spiritual influence is the influence that Satan has brought into your village. Let me tell you, when we were in that place, there was never a time that our group felt like we were not safe. Now, if you would told me that before we went, I would have been, I don't know. I mean, they had mosquitoes the size of helicopters down there. I mean, it's just crazy stuff that we were dealing with. We're sleeping in a hammock under a, under a net, and you're thinking all of these things that can happen. They have snakes that we've never heard of, spiders the size of pie plates. I mean, all of these things, you say, how can you possibly be safe? When your heart's already trusted in the Lord, safety is of the Lord. Amen? Uh, only the Lord can give you safety. When I ask you to pray for the missionaries to have safety, let me tell you, God is the only one that can protect us when we're driving down the road and doing all of these miles and traveling all around the world. God is the only one that can do that, and He can do the same thing in you. He is your strength and your shield when you trust in God. Now, let's come back to the missions conference. When we're trusting the Lord in our giving... We need to be reminded of the fact that He's going to give you peace about the decision you've made about your giving. He's going to give you the strength to see it through. He's going to give you the safety net. Now sometimes people say, well, I'm going to give to missions because I don't ever want another flat tire and I always want a good car. My motor's never going to go. That's not the promise that He's given to us. He simply means that He's going to meet your needs. You are never going to go with a need unmet when you're doing what God has asked you to do. You can trust in Him. He is going to give you the strength, and He's going to give you the safety. 
You know, I do believe that when you give to the Lord, I do believe He can make your tires last longer. When my wife and I first got married, I had a Nissan Stanza. They didn't call it a minivan. We called it a van car Jeep. It was before crossovers and SUVs. It was like a 1986. It was, a, it was not a cool thing for a newlywed couple to have. So I put a graphic on the side and put running boards on it and put nice white letter tires and made it as manly as I possibly could. But I remember when we first got married, we decided we we're going to give to missions. And there wasn't a lot for us to give, but we trusted the Lord. Let me tell you what happened. It was a little five-speed Nissan. When we sold that car with 260,000 miles on it, it still had the original clutch in it. I tell people that, and they're going, you're no way, no way. I said, we had 100,000 miles on the brakes that were on the car, and there was still plenty of pad left. You say, you must be a really good driver. Well, I am a good driver, but I was 21 at the time, 22. So I didn't drive like Grandpa. I drove like a 22-year-old. You know, lean through every curve and hang on, honey, and don't armor all the seats or everybody will slide all the way across. But all of those things. But let me tell you, God, I think God did that to show me that I have abilities and capabilities that you've never even thought about. And we learned very early on. So when a couple of years ago, when I was in our missions conference as a pastor, and we had filled out our faith promise commitment and turned it in, and then at the end of the conference, God called me back into missions. We had already filled out the commitment card for the, the highest amount we had ever given to missions. It was quite an increase that particular year. And I, met, and I looked at her and I said, I don't dare go default on this commitment. Why? God knew when He pushed, put that in our heart, what He wanted us to do, He knew what was in our future. And my wife and I stepped out from that salary. That church took very good care of us. We had a brand new car that belonged to the church, but we were driving. I mean, they took care of everything. Our cell phone bill, I mean, it was just, they took care of everything. And then suddenly I had no income, but I had this commitment to the Lord and the faith promise. And every month, the beginning of the month, we would fill out that check. And later it was, it was through push pay uh, online, but we would fill out that check and we would send it in. And we began to marvel at how God would do things, how God would take care of us. And safety was only because we trusted in Him. So don't, how many of you believe God is all-powerful? How many believe that He can be trusted? Amen. Let's look at number four tonight. Proverbs 3 and verse number 5 and 6 gives us another benefit of trusting God, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And here's the key to this. And lean not unto thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know what I call this? I call this supervision. When you trust in the Lord with all of your heart, the Lord will give you a supervision through, through the ministry of his word and through the ministry of his spirit that will direct you and help you to make decisions that are the best decisions not only for you but for your family. I don't know about you. How many of you felt like, man, I, I just like the young man that graduated from high school and he said, I can't wait to get out of home and get away from all this authority. I'm going to join the Marine Corps. Well, he hadn't thought that one through, has he? We laugh about that, but how many times have we in our life, I just want to get out from under and I don't want anybody telling me what to do. 
Now you wouldn't say that out loud, but let me tell you, there, the, the gift of supervision is a wonderful thing because no matter how young or how old you are, there are still some things in life that you're not a master of. And to have someone with that discernment and that wisdom in that area to supervise you and to direct you, it brings great peace and serenity to your heart. So when you're, you're trying to live your life for the Lord and you're trying to be spirit-filled and you've given your life to God, to be able to say, Lord, you direct to my path and I will trust in you. And what does he say the benefit of that is? He said, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. I used to say this when I was working in Nashville and I was living in Clarksville and I was going to flight school, but I was driving a tractor trailer by day, taking or early in the morning. I'd go in at three in the morning, get off around one in the afternoon. I'd do flight school in the afternoon and then we were working in the church. But there were three different ways that I could drive to work in Nashville. All of them took about anywhere from 37 to 42 minutes at that time. And I would literally pull out of my driveway on XL Road and I say, Lord, which way would you want me to drive to work today? Now, what do we normally do? What's the fastest? You, anybody in here under the age of 50 say, well, I'd look at Google Maps and find out where the traffic is, right? Well, that was before Al Gore had invented the Internet. So... Couldn't do that at that time. So I would talk to the Lord, which way do you want me to go? And it was amazing to me. When I did that, I was acknowledging my need for Him to direct me, and it suddenly made me aware of opportunities that He would bring along my way. Whether it was a person that was at the gas station that I might not normally go to, and I was able to give them a track or just a, an encouraging word or make some casual conversation. Uh, there were several times when I would pass someone that was broken down on the side of the road and I'd be able to stop and to help them. One time my uncle was working, he had a record business and was working a tractor trailer accident and, and I was driving home and, and I saw that he needed help. I was able to stop and help him. Another time, picked up a mom and two small children that were walking on the side of the road in the darkness of the night because they ran out of gas. And, and, and folks that I led to Christ on the way. And the, the, the young soldier that was headed to Fort Campbell and he didn't know that his, his uh, a 71 Monte Carlo was coming off of the trailer behind his U-Haul and sparks were going everywhere and he didn't know and I was able to flag him down and help him get the car back up on the trailer. You say, what's the big deal about all of those things. Those are opportunities that God will provide for you when you allow Him to direct your path. I talked about the young lady that worked at Bojangles uh, in the drive-thru and God impressed upon my heart to go to Bojangles one day. I'd never really been to Bojangles. Some people love it, some people don't. I'd never been. Jessica was a young lady in the drive-thru and, and I said, um, and I knew God told me to go there and if God tells you to go somewhere, it's not so that you can talk about the weather or the football game or the stock market. It's to talk about Him. And so I invited Jessica to, uh, to church and gave her a track and she didn't come, but God said, I want you, don't give up on Jessica, keep going. So three days a week for a year and a half, I went to Bojangles. I gained 25 pounds. I just wanted the young lady to come to church. I fell in love with Bojangles biscuits. You know, the thing was, after a year and a half, Jessica finally, she had a, a young child out of wedlock and her boyfriend ran off and left her after he promised to take care of her the rest of his life. And one day she called and she said, I'd really like to come to church. And I said, why don't you come, Jessica? And she came to church and got saved. You know, when God, when you ask the Lord to direct your steps, he will direct your steps. 
And, and I, sure, I wish you'd gotten saved in a month. I wouldn't have gained all that weight and been hooked on biscuits, amen? But the truth is, God did that in, in my life, and I wanted to follow him. There was a man that I'd been praying for for years. His name was Little John. Little John had a, I guess you would call it a, a tractor business, like antique farmall tractors and older tractors, and he could get parts for anything that the larger tractor dealerships couldn't have. And Dad would always buy stuff from him when I was growing up. And when I came back to Clarksville to pastor, God put it in my heart, I want you to win John to the Lord. And well, I understand I can't save John, but I knew what the Lord meant in my heart when he told me to do that. And so I began going to John's business. He opened at 7, but I knew John got there about 6.15. So at 6.30, I would show up and the gate was open and I would go in and I would frequent his business quite often. And I would always go in and he'd say, hey, buddy, how you doing? And I said, I'm doing good. He said, what are you here for? I said, I just wanted to come say hi, John. Sometimes I'd buy something I didn't need just so I wasn't a pester to him. I could just be a friend to him. And uh, sometimes he'd be selling something I could have bought cheaper somewhere else, but I would still buy it from him. I was trying to nurture that relationship, knowing that one, gate, one day God was going to open the door to give the gospel. And I couldn't, I could never, he was always, his mind was always working on the next deal and the next trade and all of this thing. He was really hard to talk to. Well, one day I'm driving by in my truck and I was going to see him and the gates closed. I've been doing this for almost six years. The gate was never closed during the day. He never went on vacation. He was never closed for Christmas. And so I was like, I wonder where John went. He's 78 years of age. I mean, you begin to think, well, I hope nothing bad's happened. So every day I went by his place for two weeks and the gate was closed. And now I am concerned. I didn't know how to get in touch with him. I didn't have his cell phone number, didn't know where he lived. I just kept going back every day. And then one day I'm coming by two weeks later and the gates open and I had almost passed the business. So I turned around and I whipped back in and, and I went running in the door. And when I ran in the door, his wife, Miss Faye, was there. And Faye said, hey, Brian, how are you today? And I said, I'm doing fine. I said, where, where have you been, Miss Faye? She said, you didn't hear? And man, I wish you could, have, you could have literally felt my heart sink in my chest when I said, hear what? My first thought was John's gone. She said, John had a heart attack, and I'm still, you know, have you ever had somebody telling you the slow version of the story, and you just wanted the last line? Well, that's the way this one was going, and she was telling me he had a heart attack and open heart surgery, and he's, he's been in Vanderbilt for two weeks, and I said, how's he doing? She said, he's home, and he's resting, and I, I breathed that sigh of relief, and I said, okay. I said, can I go see him at home? And she said, sure, I think you'd like that. So she wrote down their address, and I back out of the parking lot, and I'm making a beeline. I changed my schedule for the morning. I'm going to John's house. And on my way out of their parking lot, the Lord said, no, not today. I don't know about you, but I mean, I've been waiting for years to talk to this man about the Lord. And now I feel like the time's open, but God said no. And I said, okay, I'll trust you, Lord. So I went on to church. About two days later, I was meeting with one of my soldiers in the church, and... and uh, I was passing by the road that I now knew John lived on, and the Lord said, go now. And so I called the sergeant I was meeting for lunch, and I said, Jeremy, I said, you have to excuse me, God just, I've got something I have to do right now. And he said, that's fine, Pastor, we'll do it later. And I turned down John's road, and I pulled into his driveway, this little circle, half-circle driveway, and as I'm getting out of the door, John opens the front door, and he goes, we need to talk. And I went up to his door and I said, what do we need to talk about, John? And he said, well, 
my priest has been here, and I have some questions. He said, I almost died. He said, I have some questions. I said, did he answer your questions? He said, no, I didn't like his answers. He said, my wife's preacher came. She's another denomination. And I didn't like his answers. I said, John, I said, has anybody taken the Word of God and shown you the answers that you're looking for from the Word of God? And he said, no. I said, it doesn't matter what I think, John. You've known me since I was a boy, and mine is just an opinion. I said, you need to know what God says. In about 15 minutes, I was able to lead John to Christ. The reason I tell you that story is not so you think I'm some great soul winner. The thing I want you to understand is the timing. I did not have the timing. For six years, I'd been trusting God on every time I went in, hoping God would open the door of opportunity, but realizing that God was working on the other side of this thing. I couldn't, have, I couldn't make John have a heart attack. I couldn't give John open heart surgery. I couldn't bring him to the place where he realized that he almost died and he could see himself in hell. I couldn't do those things, but God could. And when I trust in the Lord, I need to understand that one of the benefits of trusting in the Lord is supervision. And in that supervision, he gives you divine timing and direction so that your labor is not in vain. And I tell you that I desire that. I want every single day of my life to be one that is directed by the, the, the master composer and, and the master architect of my life and your life and everyone's life around you so that I'm right in the right place at the right time. And the message, again, is not the weather. It's not the tornadoes. It's not the coronavirus. When God orchestrates that all together and He brings it together, the responsibility of us is to say, hey, I... It's not important what I say, but you need to know what God says. My friend, let me tell you, it's one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given me is this insight into understanding it. And, and hey, when I wake up in the morning, I don't wake up like you wake up and just say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. No, I come out of the bed just like you do. What is that noise when that alarm's going off? Is it daylight already? I mean, I wake up like you do. I don't wake up some peaceful saint. But sometime after that mayhem of waking up, I have to collect myself and say, Lord, this is, this is your day. And I am your servant. And the only way that I can please you today is if I'm listening to you and I'm directed by you. Let me give you the, la the fifth thing tonight, and it is the last thing. And this is this thing called stability. Proverbs 16 in verse number 3 says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. One of the greatest scriptures, I think, in, in the Bible is when your thoughts run rampant, it's taking captive those thoughts that are out of place in the mind of a Christian. And to focus our heart and our mind is Philippians 4 on the things of God, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are of good report. And when you think on the goodness of God and what He is to you and who He is to you, and the stability and the calm and the peace, that no matter what you're facing in life, He's there for you. A couple of years ago, I was, I get up early in the morning and I got up early one morning. I was going to go for a walk. It's about 4.30. And I get outside and it's, it was nice like it was this morning. Really nice and warm spring morning. And I was like, I'm going to go for a walk. And I was like, you know what? It's such a nice morning. I'm going to wait till the sun's up. And I'll get to hear the robins and 
get just to enjoy spring. So I went up to the barn and turned the lights on, and I started working on this old bush hog, about 1,500-pound bush hog. I'd been working on it all winter, painting it, and just trying to make it look better so I could destroy it all, all summer. And um, I'm working on this thing, and I'm wearing tennis shoes, and I lean over on this bush hog to put a bolt in, and when I did, it rolled off of the blocks that I had it on, and that bush hog went right across the end of my foot, and it amputated my big toe on my left foot. I mean, just crushed it right off. I have pictures if you'd like to see it. The first thought that went through my mind, I, I didn't feel it. I knew something had happened. I looked down, I saw the line on my shoe, and I said, this can't be good. I know how heavy this is. And I pulled my shoe and my sock off, and, well, I'll just let you know, I knew I was in trouble. I couldn't feel it, but I, I sat down, and, you know, the first thought in my mind was, Lord, what in the world? It's 4.30 in the morning. Why could this, how could this be possibly be part of your plan? And I called my wife down, and uh, obviously she was still sleeping 4.30 in the morning, and happily so. And I called her. I didn't think she'd answer the phone. I couldn't walk down to the house. And she answered the phone. I said, I said get up here right now with the car. I've got to get to the hospital. She said, what's wrong? I said, I just cut my toe off. And she's like, I, I don't know what she was thinking at that point. But she came up in just a couple of minutes, and she's driving me to Nashville to Vanderbilt. And that's a whole other story because we ended up with a police escort. But um, they were very kind. She was doing the best she could. But we get to the hospital, and, and on the way up there, and, and, and shock began to settle in a little bit. Even though I couldn't feel it, my body was reacting to the, to the trauma. And I get to the hospital, and I'm sitting there in the same trauma room at Vanderbilt that I had been in two days earlier with the life flight victim from my church. When they took me in that room, I went, man, this is bad. Only bad things come in this room. And I leaned back, and they started looking at my toe and working on it, and the Lord just brought a peace on my heart, and this male nurse that walked in, and the first one that greeted me, I looked at him, and, and he looked at me, and he said, I, I don't know, he was trying to make conversation with me, but I immediately knew that's why I was there. That one person. He had just moved there from California a couple of weeks earlier with his girlfriend. He had just started working in Vanderbilt. And I said, are you in church and he dropped his head and he said, I haven't been in church in a long time. And for the next 45 minutes while they worked on my toe and I couldn't feel it, I was able to talk to that young man who God had brought from California and he had taken my toe, the, the, the inch off the end of my toe to get me in that place at that time. You say, Brother Brian, you need to pray that God's a little easier on you. Why don't you just volunteer to go to Vanderbilt? I'd been there two days earlier, but it's amazing. When you trust the Lord in every area of your life, He'll open your eyes to opportunities. And He'll bring that serenity. He'll bring that strength. He'll bring that safety. He'll bring that stability in your life where you see everything that happens in my life is for a reason. It's not coincidence. And if He allows it to happen, it's because He wanted me here at this moment of time for somebody. And what it does is it makes you look around and go, is it them? Is it them? Is it them? And then when you meet them, you know that God wants to talk directly to that individual and He's chosen you as His vessel to do it. My friends, I'm leaving tomorrow. The missionaries are leaving tomorrow. Some of them you may never see again. We hope that that's not the case, but the truth is, 
you may not see them again. Have you taken advantage of all that God wanted you to learn from them this week? Has the Word of God had free course in your life this week to speak to you and to challenge you? Then I come back to our original question. Can you trust God? Whatever it is He's put in your heart this week, whatever challenge He's put upon you, can you trust God? Sometimes He'll put something in your heart and you're like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Anybody else ever do that? I remember one time, I went, whose seat am I in? Because that surely cannot be for me. I mean, the Lord spoke so clearly to my heart in a church service, and I literally went, me? But are you at the place where no matter what He asks you to do, that you say, Lord, I'll trust you? And it's a point of time, I'm trusting you. I've trusted you. And I'm going to act and do exactly as you're asking me to do. But realize tomorrow morning when you wake up, it's a new day. It's a new opportunity. Lord, I want to follow you today just like I did yesterday. Would you bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment?